the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy and ADF, the Alliance Defending Freedom. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. Well, I asked to have this uh, woman on because I so admire her writing and her guts. And I, you know, my favorite trait is courage. She has it. Julie Kelly of American Greatness, a fantastic website. I'm honored to be published there myself. And she has a book about a, a group of people that presents fascinating moral and intellectual challenges to those of us who think clearly. Disloyal opposition. How the never-Trump right, again, the never-Trump right, tried and failed to take down the president. Brief, solid, powerful book. It is up at DennisPrager.com. Julie Kelly, welcome to the Dennis Prager Show. Thank you so much for having me. What a kind introduction. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Dennis. You're welcome. Where where are you locked down right now or semi-down? I am locked down in the suburbs of Chicago. Oh, so you really are locked down. Well, we're gradually getting some of our freedom back, uh, so, but it's, it's going to be a long haul, I think, before they try to do it again in the fall. So, I wonder, you know, there's a big left-right divide on the lockdown, which is obvious, because look at the left-wing mm-hmm. governors, how they treat their states, and, and Republican governors, how they treat their states. But I wonder, since this is what your book is about, do you think the Republican never-Trumpers are more pro-lockdown or anti-lockdown? They are definitely pro-lockdown um, because, number one, it enables them really to target some of the Republican governors who have fought this trend, such as Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Um, but also, Dennis, it's part of their plan to have a completely absentee voting election in November. If people get their freedom back, they start to see all of the bad science that we listened to, how this was so counterproductive. They lose their crusade to do uh, absentee vote in, um, mail-in voting in, in November and keep Joe Biden in the basement at the same time. So it's in their best political interest, the never-Trumpers, to keep the lockdown uh, campaign going. So maybe you... Well, not maybe. I want to hear your theory because I, I need you to know. That's why well, you hear the hesitation in my voice. I know ninety-five percent of the major Never Trumpers. I personally know them. Mm-hmm. Almost all of them have made videos for PragerU at some time, and I have to tell you, it's painful. Uh, so. 
and some are beyond the pale. I mean, when Max Boot, who at one time was the opinion page editor of the Wall Street Journal, I know that because he published me so often, and that he declared the week that, or the month that Donald Trump was elected, he wrote, Donald Trump is Stalin. A man whose parents came from the Soviet Union, escaped from the Soviet Union. And I must admit that to this moment, Julie, I do not understand them. How do you explain them? Well, Dennis, I think my voice, uh, my book is intended to give a voice to what you just said about, what you just said, and that's why I call it disloyal opposition. These are people, I don't know them personally like you do, but they're certainly people who I once respected, who I once trusted. Um, this would be Bill Crystal. I mean, I grew up basically listening to Bill Crystal and the neoconservatives and trusting what they were saying. And so this book really details how not only they betrayed people like us, the Republican Party, that was their gravy train for decades, but they really have pivoted on every position that they once had. You know, they're pro-climate change. They're pro, um, some of them now advocate abolishing the Second Amendment. They're pro-open borders. So they're not even anything resembling conservative anymore. So this is their shtick, right? So they pretend that there is this dissent within the Republican Party or conservative movement, people who are on the right who oppose the president, which, of course, is not the case. Um, and so this is how they make their living now. And I also detail in my book how a lot of them, including Bill Crystal, are funded millions of dollars in funding by a left-wing tech billionaire. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Tell me. So Piero Midiar is, a co- is the founder of eBay. He is a virulent anti-Trumper. Uh, he formulated a Never Trump PAC in 2016. Um, but he's a left-winger, so he's in the same group as most tech billionaires. They're very leftist, and uh, they want to quell conservative voices. He has donated millions of dollars to these new nonprofits um, that you see popping up. Bill Crystal is one of them. So if you see this Republicans for the Rule of Law, it has received millions of dollars from Pierre Omidyar. Other groups include Evan McMullen and Mindy Finn's groups. Um, the Niskanen Center, which is a uh, climate activist group uh, that pretends to be center-right, which they're not. So I go through all the list of never-Trumpers who the Bulwark is uh, one of the projects. The Bulwark is kind of the offshoot of the Weekly Standard after the Weekly Standard was shuttered at the end of 2018. The Bulwark was formed. So you know who these people are, Charlie Sykes, uh, Jim Swift, the kind of weekly standard rejects went to the bulwark. They are receiving money from Pierre Omidyar as well. So it's not even that these so-called never-Trump conservatives are funded by disgruntled conservatives. They are funded by leftists um, so they can portray that there's a conservative discontent with Donald Trump when it really doesn't exist. Wow. Mm-hmm. Now, you know more about this than I do, so this is a real education for me. How many people read the Bulwark? <laughs> um, that is a good question. I would, uh, you know, they play this role as a foil, so they are retweeted by 
people like Jake Tapper. They're retweeted at people by at the Atlantic and the politic and Politico. So they really play. Also, one of the chapters in my book is entitled "Useful Idiot." They are the useful idiot for the left. Now, what'll be interesting, Dennis, is what their usefulness is in the next Trump era, whether Trump wins or loses. If he loses, um, they're of no use to the left anymore. And you already see some of the leftists and the Democrats say, well, we'll use you to the extent that it helps our narrative. But we don't want your input in any Democratic administration or any Democratic power structure. You're only to stay here, write your columns, go on MSNBC and CNN, and spew this Trump hate, pretending that it comes from Republicans. Um, so, I, you know, and we already see, Dennis, some of these new groups are popping up again, Republicans for Joe Biden. Um, there was another pack that was formulated by Anthony Scarlucci. So they're trying the same thing that they played in 2016, 2018, and they're re-upping it for 2020. Who was uh, Bill Crystal's uh, right hand at uh, the Weekly Standard? What was his name again? Stephen Hayes. No, that that's true. He was his right hand. Then I'm thinking of sort of the co-editor. Uh, Fred Barnes. Um, Fred Barnes. Okay. Yeah. What happened to Fred Barnes? I don't know where Fred Barnes is. He's. I don't discuss him uh, in my book. Um, but Stephen Hayes, as you know, went with Jonah Goldberg, and uh, Jonah Goldberg left National Review. Stephen Hayes, they formed this new newsletter, really, is what it is, called The Dispatch. And who's funding that? um, I'm not sure. We're trying to find out who's funding that, but you have to subscribe to The the Dispatch. So you can't get their newsletter content without subscribing to it. So um, that's that's partially where they're getting their money. But David French, who left National Review, he is with the dispatch also. And they are really, I think, in a way, even more disappointing. Because I know there are a lot of your listeners who follow Jonah Goldberg, you know, bought his books, um, trusted him as a true conservative. And all he does if he's on Fox News or writes from the dispatch They bless not just the president, but Republicans who support the president, Republican lawmakers, governors, and, of course, Trump supporters in a really demeaning way. Julie, I spent a lot of my time thinking about a question, and the question is always, why? uh, I've told my listeners that if I were on a sinking ship, I wouldn't ask where the lifeboats were first. I'd ask, why are we sinking? Which is not a compliment to me. I, I'm, uh, that's just how my mind works. I always, I, I need to understand, and then I could live with what I understand. To this moment, I am uh, the never Trumpers that you mentioned. I find hard to explain, and when I have talked to them, in fact, Brett Stevens and I have had a public. Di- he wrote a column about me in the Times. I wrote a column about him in my syndicated column. It was both respectful, and and I, I, the only thing I could conclude to this day is that the biggest single difference between us is that I perceive the left as a mortal threat to the country, and they do not. I think that that's absolutely true, and I think... Dennis, in a way, we could see that playing out just over the last few weeks. Yes. Um, you know, 
And look, I wrote a column for American Greatness about that this week. I read it. They want, there are people like Jonah Goldberg and others who are blaming Donald Trump. Rossed out that, you point out. Yeah. Who, right. Go on. Right. And so, but who was in charge of the conservative movement for 30 years? You guys were. And if there's any blame to be taken right now for the fact that conservatives, for the most part, feel defeated and are unarmed to take on the left, it is their fault. You know, you have Rich Lowry today and Politico posted an editorial, a, a column about how we conservatives should not reject this, you know, displacement, obliteration of Confederate statutes. Well, okay, but you, we see where the slippery slope is going. They're already taking down and ruining and destroying Thomas Jefferson's statue. This is where it's going. And to this day, they still either they don't see it or, quite frankly, they're just too weak and cowardly to figure out a way to fight back. How did uh, – is Max Boot in your book? He is. He is. How does a man whose parents escaped the Soviet Union call Donald Trump Stalin? Right. It's he it he wrote another column after that saying because he was a refugee of communism now under Trump, who apparently is such a totalitarian, authoritarian, whatever word he wants to use, he feels like a stranger in his own country. Yeah. But he doesn't feel a stranger on MSNBC. Well, that's that's their gig, right? So him and Jennifer Rubin, and, um, you know, I have a whole list of them in my book. Uh, They're editors at the Washington Examiner uh, who feel the same way, and they are still giving comfort to the left, even as we see the dismantling of, of what we, you know, people are understandably, justifiably alarmed at what is happening. And while the neocons and these never-Trumpers were worried about nation-building in the Middle East, guess what? They ignored and neglected what was happening in our own country. The left got a stranglehold in every institution, and now they want to blame Donald Trump for that? Um, It's absurd. You write at the end of the book that on your deathbed you will look back at your years as a full-time mom as your happiest. Is that correct? It is. You just put a big smile on my face, yes. This is uh, this is another massive issue. Uh, this has nothing to do uh, directly with your book, but because you wrote that, I have a thought I'd like to bounce off you. All of a sudden, after a few years of looking at photos of demonstrators, the thought occurred to me, I mean, angry, screaming demonstrators. The thought occurred to me that there seems to be, and I've now almost made a collection of it, a disproportionate number of young women screaming and angry. Mm-hmm. And where I first, it hit me first in my movie, No Safe Spaces, where at Yale, mm-hmm. these two professors because the the wife said that it doesn't really matter what your Halloween costume is. 
It's not a big deal. That was all she said. So she was called a racist. And the they were surrounded, the two professors, and screamed at mostly by young women. And then I thought, I think I've seen that before. Do you have any thoughts on that, or am I just, you know, finding what I'm looking for? No, I will say I have a daughter who's going to be a junior in college at a very liberal private college in upstate New York. People can probably figure out what it is. Um, but And she is, like, she's on our side. She's on the right. She's conservative. She supports Donald Trump. And the young women she is friends with and sorority sisters with, are they are in a perpetual state of rage, of outrage, of anger. Um, and it's just not the same with her friends who are young men. There's such a huge political gap between the two right now, I think, for this, for that upcoming generation. Um, but you're right. I, I don't know why these women are so angry. Well, they've, they've been told to be angry, right? Right. <laughs> they have told to be, but I, yes. But the men have been told to be angry, too. But, of course, the men have less theoretically to be angry about because the country's misogynist and, and men have male privilege. So uh, that's, but I, I, I always think there might be another reason. The things that gave young women a lot of meaning in life have been debunked. Like what you said gave you the, your greatest happiness, right. your, your family. Anyway, you're a joy to talk to. We'll do it again. Sure. The book is Disloyal Opposition. It's about the never-Trumpers, folks. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. This is Jerry Boyer of Town Hall Finance for townhall.com. Alex Berenson, a former reporter for the New York Times, garnered a following for straying from the prevailing wisdom of the press regarding coronavirus. His criticism of the shutdowns sparked an inordinate backlash from elite media. And then he was censored by Amazon. After he self-published a booklet critical of the lockdowns through Amazon, they took it upon themselves to prevent the public from reading it. As if to add insult to injury, they delivered Berenson a notice implying that his book would be accepted if he removed the references to COVID-19 in a book about COVID-19. It was only after Elon Musk criticized their censorship that Amazon allowed the book's publication. Then it hit number one on the Kindle store. If Amazon continues to limit dissent, the results won't be conformity with the established order. It will be more consumer revolts against imposed ideology. I'm Jerry Boyer. Publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu.